Thank you for joining us for the lessons from First Naz Podcast. Let me read uh, for us the passage that Becca will be leading us through today. Uh, it's from James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. This is the New Revised Standard Version. It says, Be patient, therefore, beloved, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious crop from the earth, being patient with it until it receives the early and late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Beloved, do not grumble against one another, so that you may not be judged. See, the judge is standing at the doors. As an example of suffering and patience, beloved, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Indeed, we call blessed those who showed endurance. You have heard of the endurance of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. was a very hearty good morning. I liked that. Um, As I was preparing for today's message, I got to start thinking about how different life looked a couple of decades ago until now. So think about 20, 25 years ago, um, and I want you to listen to this clip. It's only like 12 seconds, and you'll know what I mean when I say life is different. Okay, so most of you probably just had memories of dial-up internet flooding your brain. Some of you may not know what that sound was. Um, Raise your hand if you did not ever have dial-up internet. They're they're like this. Like, they don't want to put their hands up. They're like... That's me. Um, dial-up internet. That was that was a painful time. Um, you could, you could have or you had to decide if you wanted your landline or if you wanted your internet because you couldn't have both at the same time. And for us as kids, um, we wanted to be able to do both, right? We wanted our parents to be able to have the phone for emergency purposes, and we wanted to be on the internet, but it didn't work like that. So we had very short amounts of time um, in order to do that. But now we live in a world where we have our telephone and our internet at the same time in our phones, um, at our fingertips at all points. Um, We carry around phones with 4G and 5G internet, um, and it gives us access to the world wide web. So we don't have to wait for answers. If we are um, wanting to, to know something, Uh, When I was a kid, our parents would say, go look in the encyclopedias that adorned our our bookshelves. Um, Does anybody still have encyclopedias? Okay, there's a couple of you. Um, Most of you now just whip out your phone. So if you wanted to know how tall the largest 
um, real Christmas tree was. I wouldn't even know how to begin to look that up in an encyclopedia. But I looked it up on my phone, and if you want to know, it is 221 feet is the largest real Christmas tree that there ever was. Uh, we have a bittersweet relationship with technology because we love it when it works, and we don't love it when it doesn't work. And for me, for some reason, it just never works for me. And so um, we, we like our internet and our phones because it's instant gratification. We like to be able to have what we want when we want it. My daughter, she's three. Um, many of you know her. She runs around a lot. Um, she doesn't understand how the radio or cable TV works. So she thinks that when we get in the car, she can say, Alexa, play Baby Shark. And then Baby Shark doesn't play, and she doesn't understand what just happened. Because at home, she can yell, Alexa, play something, and it works. Um, and she, my, my daughter is a... a change the song in the middle of the song kind of person. So after, you know, 20 seconds of getting her, her satisfaction of Baby Shark, then she'll want to change it to the Minions, or she'll want to change it to something else. She also doesn't understand cable TV, because we go to Grandma's house, and she wants to know why she can't watch Cars 3 right in the moment that she wants to watch it, or why she can't watch the certain Daniel Tiger episode. And I tell her that the radio and the, and the TV, they choose what she gets to watch. And that is a completely foreign concept to her because she doesn't like to be patient. She doesn't like to wait because waiting is hard. And that is how a lot of us are nowadays as well. We don't like waiting. We don't like to be patient. And so today, Pastor Paul, he read us a passage of scripture that we're going to be going into today that talks about patience. And it might be tempting for us to just kind of want to skip over this passage of scripture, um, because it talks about not only being patient, but being patient in suffering and not grumbling. So our question today is, uh, how can we have joy in the midst of suffering? Today in Advent, we are on the third week, which is Joy Week. And you can even tell on our Advent candles that we have lit the, the two purple candles the last two week, two weeks, and today is the pink candle. And it signifies that suffering is not going to last and that joy is coming. And they're not talking about, you know, suffering like the mild inconveniences that I, I shared about our live streaming and, and our phones. Um, they're talking about some real suffering. The first century Christians would have experienced persecution in a way that probably none of us have faced. Um, they would have faced famine. They would have faced um, being dispersed. And then for us, we've faced a pandemic, and we face community type of suffering, but we also face personal suffering. And many of you know what that feels like right now today, as we are here today, knowing the suffering that's going on in your lives or with your loved ones. So is there a way to be patient in the midst of that suffering? And can we find joy even there? So our passage of scripture is found in James, James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. Um, this is kind of a short passage. It's only six verses, but they really pack a punch. So for James, um, tradition holds that this is the brother of Jesus who, is, who wrote this letter, and it's caused some scholars to kind of scratch their heads a little bit because it doesn't seem like this letter is written to a specific congregation or a specific people or to a specific problem the way that some of the other letters in the New Testament look. 
Instead, this seems to be more of a general letter. Um, and there's not as much mention of Jesus in this letter either. So some scholars are like, what's going on here? Um, but uh, the focus really is more on moral issues and how we can live out our faith now as redeemed Christians and members of God's family. This was an important letter back in the first century, um, and it's an important letter for us today um, because it urges that we shouldn't and we must not look the same as we did before we knew God's grace and before we knew God's love. Um, and this change of looking less like the world and more and more like Jesus can only occur when we allow God's Holy Spirit to work within us and to do his kingdom work within us. And in this particular section, chapter 5, that we're going to be going through today, um, it, looks, it, it talks about what it looks like when believers are suffering. These Jewish Christians were no, were no strangers to hardship. Like I said, they were faced with persecution. They were faced with being dispersed. They were, they were um, faced with uncertainty, not knowing what was going to happen, thinking, do they have only a little bit of time left before Jesus comes, or is it going to be much, much longer? They didn't know. There was no rule book for them. They didn't have a guidebook as to how other Christians handled this because this was all new territory. So James, he offered wisdom and encouragement and that nudge to say that you should remain steadfast. And today as we read this, we have that same nudge to remain steadfast and to lean into God in our suffering as well. Um, there's kind of three little sections that can come out of this, so we're going to kind of go through all three little sections. So the first is James 5, 7 through 8, and this is what it says. Be patient, therefore, beloved, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious crop from the earth, being patient with it until it receives the early and late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. In your Bibles, if you are following along, chances are the word that was used as beloved is something like brothers and sisters or something of that nature. So here, just know that he is speaking to his brothers and his sisters, his fellow Christians who are trying to figure out what now? What now? What does life look like in the meantime between when God, when Jesus came and, and he was born and he died and he was resurrected, but then he ascended and now we're in a period of waiting until Jesus comes back. This is a reality that we called the already and the not yet. God's kingdom has already come. The Messiah that was anticipated and promised and waited for for hundreds and hundreds of years has come. And it wasn't with the sounds of trumpets. It wasn't that there was this red carpet rolled out. But instead, from the start, Jesus came in humility the timing was incredibly unfortunate. He was born to a young woman, virgin named Mary, and she was betrothed to, to Joseph, and they had to travel when she was expecting. And any of you who have been expecting mothers or who have been alongside an expecting mother, um, traveling at the end is just not fun. It's not fun for anybody because you're uncomfortable, you don't know when babies come in, and that's where she's at. She is traveling, and then she couldn't even have a warm place to stay, let alone bring in the king of kings into the world because there was no room. And so they had baby Jesus, the king of the world, the savior that they were waiting for in the presence of lowly, filthy, stinky animals. Those were the witnesses. It wasn't like huge crowds flocked to see Jesus. 
And it wasn't that they were telling people as they were going along the way, oh, hey, this is the Son of God. You should come with us. Hey, this is the Son of God. Come follow us. Um, They didn't have a big procession. They didn't have a big following. Um, Instead, it was probably a quiet night, probably a night where people didn't realize that the Savior who was going to make things right was born. From the beginning, um, Jesus was born in humble beginnings. His kingdom was different from the standard of the world. His kingdom was established through ordinary people and circumstances. Jesus didn't come just for the the wealthy or just for the successful or the self-righteous or the important, but instead Jesus came for anyone who would accept that he came because of his overwhelming love for them. A plan he set in motion from the beginning so that we could live in a world restored, a peaceful, loving world that God intended his precious children to be part of and to experience. Jesus, he lived an incredible life on earth, shifting the worldly paradigm and sharing and teaching with us what it looked like to be part of the kingdom of God and not the world's kingdom, a kingdom that was not wrought with selfishness and pain and sin and tears and illness and suffering, but a kingdom where God reigns in his fullness, a kingdom that is hope and that is love and joy and peace. Jesus paid the ultimate price so that we could participate in this beautiful kingdom. God's kingdom has already come to earth because now we know and experience salvation, and we know and experience what his love and mercy look like. But we also live in the reality of the not yet. God's kingdom has not yet come in its fullness. We have not yet experienced the full reign of God who will set all things right and who will make things that are broken whole again. Instead, we live with heartache that cuts deep. We experience pain, pain from the loss of loved ones who we wish that were here this Christmas season. Pain from long-term illness that will just not relent. Pain from broken relationships, from uncertainty, from fear. But the time is coming when Jesus will come again. And right now, Jesus is preparing a place for us. And we find ourselves in this time of waiting. But we know that we can wait expectantly and with hope because we know what is to come. We know that the broken will be made whole. We know that we will experience full restoration, where we will experience complete healing. So we're told to strengthen our hearts, to stand firm, for the coming of the Lord is near. This is an active type of waiting. This isn't an idle, sit-on-our-hands type of waiting. James gives us a practical illustration of living in the waiting when he talks and shares about a farmer, a farmer who has planted his crops. Let me tell you, the process and the work that has gone into just planting the, the crops, planting the seeds, is already extensive. First, they must prepare the compost for soil, and that alone takes a lot of waiting before you're even beginning to wait for rain. And then you need to prepare the soil, and that looks like walking through large fields and finding anything that would be obstructing, taking out rocks, maybe putting in some of that compost that you just made if necessary, And then you need to figure out where you're going to be planting your seeds because your seeds need to be planted in the right place. Some need to be spread out or or scattered. 
Some seeds need to be buried deep, and other seeds need to be buried or uh, planted in mounds. And then once all of that's done, then they need to monitor the seeds and see if they need to thin out the seedlings. So all of this process has taken place before the waiting truly begins of what James is saying. And you and I both know that they don't get to just reap the harvest right away. That would be pretty nice. That would be that that instant gratification where you just whip out your phone and, and find your answer. But instead, they need the time for the crops to grow and mature before they can reap that harvest. And they need those rains. The rains, it says, early and late rains is what they're looking at. The early rains would have been the autumn, and the late rains would have been the spring. So that in and of itself is a long time to wait. And we're called to wait like the farmers. The farmers, they're not passive. Like I said, they're not sitting on their hands. They don't go to Arizona for the winter, um, like some of you might want to go because it's cold here. Um, No, there is still work to be done. There is still things that they are doing. Um, They are still preparing and getting ready. And we must continue to live out our faith that we have standing firm. You might want to think, why do the farmers go through all of this work? Why become a farmer, right? You have all these things to do, and it's because they wait with great hope and expectancy as to what is to come. They know that there will be a valuable, precious crop at the end, and it's going to make the hard work and the waiting all worth it. And we too, we can wait expectantly, and we can wait with joy because we know what is going to happen in the end. God's promises are true, and he's told us that he, Jesus, is coming back, and we're going to be with him always. Not only are we called to wait patiently, strengthening our hearts and standing firm, but we're also instructed not to complain against one another, not to grumble. This is what chapter, or verse 9 says. Beloved, do not grumble against one another so that you may not be judged. See, the judge is standing at the doors. One of the main themes in the book of James is the theme, the idea that faith without works is dead. And this has caused, um, this has really tripped up some scholars in the past and even probably now, um, because it might sound, if you don't read it carefully, that James is saying that you cannot have faith unless you have works and unless you work for it. Or something like, you can't experience salvation unless you do all the right things and you check all the right boxes. Um, This is a completely contradictory view to the rest of the Bible, and this is not what James is saying. He is not saying that you have to do all this stuff and then, you know, salvation will just kind kind of be part of it. Instead, what James is sharing with his brothers and his sisters is that if you have faith and if you have set Jesus as your king and your savior over your life, then you will have faith that produces action, that you will not be able to keep what is hidden or what is inside hidden, but instead you will outwardly show the inward change and the inward transformation that has happened in your life. See, the Holy Spirit comes upon us when we believe, and he is actively at work in our hearts and our minds so that the more we come to know Jesus, the more and more we begin to look like him. In Galatians 5, the Apostle Paul shares with us two lists, two contrasting lists. The first list is a list of what results from our sinful desires and when our hearts 
are, are wrought with that. And I think they're going to put up the list on the screen. I'm only going to share a couple of them. Um, listen to these results. Hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, and then there's others up there. These are our natural responses without the help from the Holy Spirit. This is what we are inclined to live out. These are the toxic realities that are the way of life for people who are not living in the power of the Spirit. You saw those things on the list. How many of these result in fractured relationships with others or brokenness? Hostility was on that list, which is unfriendliness or opposition. Quarreling, heated arguments or disagreements. Jealousy, being envious of others. Outbursts of anger, being unable to control your behaviors and your actions. Selfish ambition, putting yourself other, before others at all costs. Division, a break in relationships. And dissension, more disagreements. Grumbling against a brother and a sister, what James said, fits in line with this. This is what it fits in line with, these behaviors, these inclinations. And James reminds us that we ought to live differently now that we are saved from the power of sin that is over us. Jesus conquered sin, he defeated death, and we don't need to be having our lives consumed with tension and factions anymore. Instead, we can choose to respond to people and situations with the grace and the love that we've received from God. So in contrast to this list, the Apostle Paul then gives the list of the fruit of the Spirit. These fruit grow in a believer's life as they submit more and more to the leading of the Spirit and become less and less reliant on their flesh and their worldly desires. So this is the list. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is a complete difference from what we just read, right? Instead of outbursts of anger, self-control. Instead of hostility, gentleness. Instead of dissension, kindness. Instead of selfish ambition, faithfulness and goodness. Instead of quarreling, love. And there at the beginning of the list, joy, peace, and patience. These are not tied to our circumstances, right? It's easy to be joyful when everything is happy in our lives, but that's not always the case. It's easy to have peace when things are calm, but as you all know, we don't live in a period of calm things all the time. And it's easy to be patient when we're not faced with problems. And maybe that works for a little bit, but then our problems come. But as we mature in our walk with God, the fruit of the Spirit grows within us. And we're able to respond to situations in all seasons of life this way because we are not having our, um, these characteristics tied to our circumstances. So in the seasons in our lives where we feel the weight of the world crashing in around us, we can keep our focus on the one who is our ultimate comforter, who is our refuge and our strength in times of trouble. We can then, in all circumstances, respond outwardly with the changes that have been taking place inwardly. If we allow our sinful nature to rule our hearts, 
then we get sucked into focusing only on ourselves, only on what we want, and that grumbling begins where our focus ought to be on the one who redeems, the one who is all-powerful. If we spend all our time grumbling against our brothers and our sisters, then our vision gets cloudy. We are unable to set our eyes on Jesus the way we've been called, and he's our reason to have hope, to show love, and to wait with incredible patience, and to have joy in our hearts even in this time. The last example um, that James gives is how we can wait patiently in suffering. This is what it says in James 5, 10 through 11. As an example of suffering and patience, beloved, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Indeed, we call blessed those who showed endurance. You have heard of the endurance of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. The prophets, they experienced true suffering. Like I said, it wasn't the inconveniences or modern-day inconveniences. Instead, these men and these women were not immune to hard times. The prophets, they would have been the ones seen as the outcasts. The people didn't really like them too much because they didn't have the things that they wanted to hear. They were saying things that were, were not quite uh, in line with what the people wanted. You probably won't get the most popular award if you're telling people that the judgment of the Lord is coming upon you, unless you turn from your ways and refocus your lives on God. This is another theme that we see in the book of James, because James calls them blessed. Um, the faithful endurance through suffering is an agent for which we mature in our faith, and this is something that has come up a couple different times in this letter. That faithful endurance through suffering is an agent for which we mature in our faith. This is what it says earlier in the letter in James 1, verses 2 and 3. 2 and 4. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. The hardships we face give space for us to grow and to grow more deeply in our relationship with God as we rely on him. And I want you to know that we're not alone in our suffering. The God who came down to dwell among us, Jesus experienced pain and suffering firsthand. He is compassionate and merciful and he is with us. And we can lean into him and rest in his presence and refuge because he is our strong tower. James gives us the example of Job. Job was a faithful servant of the Lord, and he experienced the worst kind of pain and suffering. He virtually lost everyone and everything around him, including his health. And his wife said, just curse God and die. It's not worth it. This is awful. His friends even encouraged him to turn from God, and yet he decided to remain faithful. It doesn't mean that he was happy, because I don't know how you could be with so much loss and so much pain. He had a lot of heartache, but he trusted that the Lord was faithful and that he would bring restoration and healing. And even in the midst of his belief, he lamented to God. He pleaded with God out of his desperation. And you know God can handle it. 
because God is right there with you the way that he was with Job. When you find yourself lying on the floor, not knowing how to get yourself up, God is right there. When you find yourself screaming in the car because you have so much pent-up emotion and you don't know how to get it out, God is right there with you. God's with you when you're trying to find the motivation to continue on. He's right there. As we wait for the day that Jesus can come again and usher in his kingdom in its fullness, we can wait with expectant hope that we will finally be in the arms of our Heavenly Father who will make what is broken whole again. And as we wait, we can do so with joy, not because we're happy with everything going on in our life, but because our joy comes from God alone and we know what's to come. There are three takeaways that I think that we get in light of this scripture and in light of it being joy week in Advent this week. The first is that joy is not an emotion. It is a state of being. When we become believers, God adopts us as his daughters and his sons, and he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we read that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. These are the characteristics of a believer that are reflected outwardly, what is being changed and transformed inwardly. And these things are not tied to our circumstances, and I'm thankful for that, because it's who you are. It's who we are as Christians and as followers and as daughters and sons of God. As we grow deeper in our faith and our reliance on God, we won't be able to help but live out these things. We won't have faith without works because we will be compelled to act accordingly. We live in a world where we experience pain and we experience suffering and hurt and hardship and uncertainty for what's going to happen next. And the list can go on and on and on. And yet in the midst of that, we can choose joy because our joy comes from God alone and not what is going on in our lives. The second takeaway is that we don't need to suffer alone. I'm not going to lie. Whoa. I'm not going to lie. Um, I was a bit nervous preparing this week's um, message. When Pastor Paul originally told us that um, he had this idea and this vision that each pastor on staff was going to preach a week of Advent, um, I was really energized and I was really excited. And I found out that I'm going to be sharing on Joy Week, and I'm excited. It's going to be good. I mean, joy, right? Traditionally, we talk about the, the shepherds, and they're in the field, and they're watching over their flock by night, and all of a sudden, an angel with the radiance of God comes down and says, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy for all people. The Savior, the Messiah, has been born in Bethlehem. And then suddenly a multitude of angels come and they're all singing glory to God in the highest. The Savior has been born. What joy. The king that they have been waiting for for hundreds and hundreds of years has come and he is going to set all things right. And then I read the passage of scripture that was chosen for today and it was a bit heavier than that. It was a lot heavier than Luke's account of the announcement of Jesus' arrival. And instead, I started feeling the weight of everything that's been happening in this community over the past couple of months. And I've thought of the young lives that are tragically lost and feeling the weight of suffering 
and feeling the weight of pain and knowing that it's joy week, trying to reconcile that and trying to figure out how can you have both. And for you sitting there, there's probably some of you who are dealing with pain and suffering right this moment. You might be sitting in the pew thinking, I don't even know why I came today because it is just hard for me even to get out of bed. It would be safe to say that if you're not dealing with pain right in this moment, you've experienced it before and you know how it feels. And as we're celebrating Christmas, um, you might feel um, that, that past suffering come back. We all know what it feels like to wait, to long for restoration, to long for wholeness and healing. It may be tempting to want to avoid our suffering completely, but what we've read is that we can face it head on. We can recognize that there are painful things in this world, but we can lean into our Heavenly Father who brings that ultimate comfort. We can take heart knowing that Jesus did experience pain and he endured suffering and he understands. And we know that the Holy Spirit is continuing to work in our hearts and in our lives as we rely on the strength of God to help us. I had said number point number two was we don't need to suffer alone, and that also means that we have a community of believers with us. You ought not ever to feel alone. That is not how it's been intended. It might be easy to want to steal away, to isolate yourselves, to not want to tell people how you're truly feeling because you don't want to rehash it again and again and again. Or maybe there's feelings of guilt and shame in that. And yet, Christians from the beginning have been called to live together, to do life together, to break bread together, to encourage one another, and to pray for one another. We are not meant to do this alone. So please, if you are in a season of long suffering and you don't feel like there's anybody there, please reach out, especially during this time, because you should not feel alone. The third thing is that um, this passage of scripture, the declaration that Christ has come and Christ will come again. So we're celebrating this week of Advent. That means that there are two more weeks until we get to celebrate baby Jesus coming to earth. Some of you might not even put baby Jesus in your nativity until Christmas morning when we celebrate that Jesus has come. And it's a celebration because Jesus has done so many wonderful and amazing and beautiful things he was active and present at creation. He was there at the beginning of the world, and he came to dwell among us. And he did this for your sake and for mine. I want you to know that you matter. Jesus came for you. You are important. You are loved, and you mean something. So if you don't feel that today, know that that is a lie because Jesus came for you. Some of us, we're excited for the Christmas season. Um, I have a cousin that I think I'm convinced that she celebrates Christmas in July and then just leaves everything up until Christmas. And then just leaves it up till Christmas in July and just leaves it up all year long. Others of us in this room, we're kind of waiting for Christmas for these two weeks to just kind of pass. We're waiting for it just to be done because we feel the weight of being distant from our families. We feel the weight of lost loved ones like I said, that we wish were here, celebrating with us. This time brings the remembrance of all that past suffering back, and it brings our current sufferings to the forefront. 
But we're told to strengthen our hearts, knowing that Christ has come and Christ will come again. Jesus told us to trust in him, that he was going to prepare a place for us, and that he would come back and that we would be with him always. We can hold on to this promise with confidence because we know that God is faithful and true to what he says. We can have joy in our waiting because we know that Christ has come and that Christ will come again. I want to leave with you um, passage, just two verses. Um, these are beautiful words from John's vision in Revelation 21, verses 3 through 4. It says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you know where each and every one of us are right in this moment. As we're standing or we're sitting in the pews or the chairs, you know what we've come with today. You know where our hearts are, where our minds are. And God, we just pray that you bring the ultimate comfort that we know you can bring. We rest knowing that you experienced suffering. Jesus, that you experienced pain and you did so for us. God, we, we pray that as we are in joy week, we pray for those that don't feel particularly happy this week. But we thank you that we don't have to, to be happy only when things are happy in our lives, when we don't have to only experience patience when everything's going fine, that we don't need to have peace only when things are calm. God, we thank you that you are, are there in the trenches with us, that you wipe our tears from our eyes, that you're there in the car when you just want to scream you don't know what else to do. God, thank you for being a loving father. Thank you for showing up in every season of our lives. Thank you for never leaving us because you don't. Thank you for the promises that you've given us. The promise that Jesus is going to come again. God, we pray that your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and we pray that that starts right now in our own hearts. Holy Spirit, work in each one of our hearts. Continue to grow in us a reliance and a maturity in faith, a faith that produces action because we can't do anything else but to show what has been changed inwardly. God, there are people in this room today who, who are at the end of their rope, people online watching that just don't know what's next. God, we take comfort knowing that you're with us. God, wrap your arms around each and every person here today. May your presence be felt in an overwhelming way. God, give us peace in our situations. Give us hope, hope knowing that you will come again. God, help us have joy enjoy abundantly and help us to have that patience
to stand firm, to strengthen our hearts, to take courage. God, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you have not left or forsaken us, that you made a way so that we can be with you forever. God, as we celebrate Joy Week today, we pray that you help us see that there are reasons to be joyful. There are reasons to be hopeful. There are reasons to have peace and to have love, and it all starts with you. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You are dismissed.